Is investment something that's always been on your mind, but you don't quite know how to get started on that journey? We are here to set you on the right course. Welcome to My Cashflow Academy's Investor's Corner with your host, Athena Paquette Cornier. We are all about getting out of the rat race through creating positive passive income through real estate investing. Here you'll hear from regular people just like you and the professionals who support us towards greater wealth. Learn before you earn, move from analysis to action, and find the right path to attaining the success that you've always dreamed of for yourself. Now, here's your host, Athena. So welcome to Investor's Corner, where we chat with investors who have gotten out of the rat race through passive investing, usually through real estate, but all kinds of different asset classes, and they tell just how they did it. We also learn from businesses who help us expand our wealth and protect our wealth. So guess what? <laughs> so tonight we have a very last minute uh, important meeting that I put together. We put together like in the space of two days. Um, and it's about a class action suit being put together to help housing providers that were damaged by the unconstitutional eviction moratorium imposed upon us last year throughout that year and this year mostly. And it just ended in most states. So, um, so my thoughts and my aggravation was, did they tell, did the government tell the grocery stores to give away free groceries, exactly. free food, uh, or cut their prices to zero for a certain amount of months because people needed it, um, which obviously a lot of people did, but there are other ways, right? So the, the groceries, in fact, in fact, the grocery stores were kind of like up, upheld or lifted up some of them uh, compared to, again, the mom and pop grocery stores who barely could survive? Or did the gas station say, hey, you have to give away free gas because people don't have jobs and they still need to go places. So none of that happened except for our industry. We as housing providers were the only ones, to my knowledge, uh, to have the government come in and dictate what we had to provide, that we had to provide our services for free. So this ruined the lives of many people that I know, small investors, obviously the Black Rocks are doing just fine. Um, but small investors who that was their source of income. And for some of them was the roof over the head. And who, by the way, uh, were not eligible for Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or FHA forbearance because they didn't have that kind of loan. So everyone just assumed that everyone got forbearance, and that's absolutely not true. In fact, 30 to 35% of loans that are made in the U.S. are not Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, or USDA or any of those things that got mandatory forbearance. And that's a whole other discussion for another day. Um, but people were put at risk and um, I don't know, I know several investors who lost 10, 20, 30, uh, up to $100,000 is my personal experience with people. And I'm sure there's worse stories out there, but that's just what I experienced. So um, anyway, so tonight I'm joined by Laura Guy. She's an investor, a wholesaler. Uh, she actually now is a realtor and mostly a housing advocate who is on the board of the CIREIA. So it's the Central Indiana, right? Is that the right? REIA that you're part of? So I'm at, I am a member of that, but I'm the president of Indiana Property Rights Alliance, which okay, is you're the president of that one. Which is the organization that is filing suit against right. the state of Indiana against the eviction moratorium. Right. Okay. Right. So, okay. I, for some reason, I thought you were on the board of also the REIA thing. Okay. So she's here to explain what this lawsuit's about 
how to join it, how much they hope to recover, uh, who it is that's helping them and what hopes they, you know, what experience that those lawyers have and what hopes they have. And just explain to us, like, how how does this affect us? And for those of you who are in another state, like we're, you know, I'm sitting here in California. We have people in Colorado and Florida. So just because this is in Indiana, I just want to tell you that this is super important because even if we, I mean, in California, I kind of feel like we have no hope to ever try and do something like this. But once someone wins at something like this, it sets a precedence. And so even if you think this is not about us or that we in some states, we won't get political, but some of us in some states have no hope of doing something like this. Listen up, because this is the machination. These are the steps. And this is the the thing you go through. And if they win, if they get to have their rights recognized, let alone the money that's total tons of money that's lost, if they win, that will help those of us who feel totally defeated already. <laughs> so, so, Laura, thank you for taking time out. I know it's pretty late already on the East Coast, but I think this is super important. Um, we are recording this so that people uh, who couldn't make it tonight can definitely learn about this and learn about how they can participate, either that they've lost money and can get your you guys, you know, join the bandwagon, which I did the moment I saw the email. I was like, we are in, we've got to do this, right? Um, but also, yeah, but also who, you know, people who want to just support because just like um, supporting an elected official in another state makes a lot of sense because if they do good in D.C. for you who are in a state where you don't feel you're being represented, supporting that guy in another state makes a lot of sense because they are a voice for you, even though they're in a different state. So this is similar. So I hope that at the end of this, some people may feel in their heart and have the wherewithal in their pocketbook to uh, support this. So I've already said too much probably, but <laughs> welcome, Laura. No, thank, thank you for joining me and, and coming to tell us what this is all about. You've given me a fantastic introduction because that's exactly what it's about. In Indiana, we have a fantastic investing state. We have a fantastic investing community. I know that in California, you have your government paying for lawyers for people that refuse to pay rent. I know in Seattle, you can't check for criminal history, eviction history. I mean, in Indiana, we still can. We still have the ability to screen our tenants. Um, So one of the reasons Indiana is so investor friendly is because of those reasons. And that's also one of the reasons that um, rent is so affordable here. Mm -hmm. This state is a great state for investing and for tenants. So what we are doing is saying that the eviction moratorium was completely unconstitutional. Um, and we are seeking damages for the landlords that lost because of it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, there have been two lawsuits previous to us. One of them was um, a group of Alabama landlords that sued the federal government that said, this is all they said is this is just not constitutional. And that is the lawsuit that overturned the eviction moratorium. However, 
They did not say anything about you owe us the damages. They mm-hmm. just said, this is unconstitutional. You need to stop it. There's another lawsuit by the um, apartment association that mm-hmm. says, we're not telling you this is unconstitutional. All we're saying is we want you to pay us for the damages that we lost like eminent domain. So if, if you were to, if the government, if the government were to come and say, I am going to take your property by the federal constitution, they have to give you fair compensation for that. Right. Now there's both the federal constitution and the state constitution. Now in Indiana, we're a very conservative state. You come from a very liberal state. Mm-hmm. And um, in Indiana, the takings clause, which is, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm getting a little bit out of order, but that's the basis for our lawsuit. We're saying that you can take our property, but you have to compensate us for it, much like eminent domain. Right. If you feel like my property is due for a highway, you can take it, but you have to give me what I'm due for it. Now, in Indiana, we actually have a stronger constitution than the federal constitution, which says you have to pay us before you take it. Um, so oh, that's interesting. Yes. So um, makes more sense. <laughs> right. When you want to know what you're going to get paid before you give up your rights to that right. property, right? Because you can say own this for a period of time. It's only reasonable to say, I will sell it to you. I'll give it to you for what we feel is fair. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, so you were talking about the eminent domain that, that you know, if the, pro- if the government wants to take your property, they have to pay you first and then take the property, right? right. Versus as opposed to you know, we'll take the property and settle up later at a price that we'll decide what's fair, right? I mean, that's how it usually goes. So one of the things in this pandemic, if you, you know, however you may feel about this pandemic is, you know, restaurants were shut down, offices are shut down, all kinds of businesses are shut down. Many, many, many businesses were offered a PPP loan, which says we're going to pay you for your, to make sure that your employees are paid, that you are paid. You keep the employees work, you know, paid, you're right. Correct. Now, for landlords, at least in Indiana, that option has never been presented. Now, there has been rental assistance provided for tenants. Mm. Um, in Indiana, um, that rental assistance has been provided on a on a township or county level where on some townships or counties, it's been paid directly to the tenant and the landlord has never seen it. So they've got, okay. Now for me personally, I'm in Marion County. I'm in, I'm in Indianapolis. I was directly paid for three months, but throughout Indianapolis, it's been administered differently. So one of our um, arguments is that 
um, we have never been given a direct resource or direct remedy for our losses while most other businesses have. Right. Um, now, in fact, you know, if you're a landlord, like for us, we don't have direct employees because we have property managers who have all the employees doing all the business of running the rental property, right? We don't do that personally. So I couldn't apply. In fact, I asked about it. Can I apply for a PPP to offset the rents that I'm not getting? And I said, no, it's for employee. It's for keeping your employees employed. Right. So so that wasn't an option. Um, And I don't know, and I'm sure you'll get to this, but in our area, the tenant had to actually apply for rental assistance. And many of them did not want to, could not, didn't understand, you know, you know, anyway, so, so there was no money coming. I mean, at least you guys got money, but here that thing didn't work out well. And that's, that brings me to the point of the apartment association where the apartment. So there's the apartment association filed suit against the federal government and said, we're not saying anything you did was unconstitutional. All we're saying is you owe us for taking, for, for compensating us for something that you took. Right. Um, so that's the difference between like the, the Alabama mm-hmm. lawsuit and this one. Interesting. Okay. So, so um, our conversation with our attorney um is he, his concern is that because evictions take place on a local level, because evictions take place on a township, county, Mm. whatever level, is that the apartment association's lawsuit is going to be kicked back and they're going to say, we didn't evict your tenants, your local municipalities did. Interesting. So... Difference. And, and it is, evictions are a civil matter. Mm. So we felt in Indiana, and, and so far, I feel, I, as far as I know, we are the only state that is filing against their state. Mm. Now, Indiana has always been a very investor-friendly state. Um, we, landlords are given a lot of rights we can check criminal history. We can check credit history. We, we have the ability to screen our tenants. Yeah, some states feel that's discrimination to check on someone's past. Correct. Right. Um, and literally, just last year, we passed a bill, and I think it was HB 131, um, that said that reiterated landlords' rights. Now, the thing about this is that it not only protects landlord rights, it also keeps rents low for tenants because we have the ability to screen them so that the people that are abusing the system don't take over the system. Because the people that start taking over the system start to dominate it, then all rents get higher. Right. Yeah, the risk is built in. I don't think people understand that, right? Is that... You know, the more risk someone takes, the higher the price they charge, whatever it is. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So what we're doing in Indiana is we are filing a suit against the state of Indiana saying you enacted 
a, a moratorium and it was an executive, um, you know, executive order by your governor executive order by the, by the governor. Uh-huh, right. Um, and it was, um, enacted by different townships that said that we could not evict people. Mm. And we are saying that that was unconstitutional and it was a takings, which is the 14th amendment. Right. And we are pursuing damages for those landlords that suffered losses and damages. Right. So what kind of losses are you uh, thinking would qualify or what, t- yeah. What types of losses are you going after? Cause I saw in your email, there, there were a lot of things that I wouldn't even think of. So what types of things do you think are going to be covered? So obviously loss of rents, but if you paid utilities during that time, if you provided maintenance during that time, because one of the, to me, one of the most egregious parts of this is that it wasn't that they just dishonored a contract. They dishonored one side of a contract. Mm-hmm. They said, you still have to honor, you, you still have to provide utilities. You still have to provide maintenance. You still have to pr- provide um, wh- whatever it is you're providing. Okay. Whatever it is your contract says, but this, the other side does not have to. So cutting and, the wall and it's not like all of a sudden the tenant volunteered since you're, you know, since I don't have to pay you rent, let me help by mowing the lawn. Let me help by doing some maintenance stuff around the, pro- like there wasn't the way a normal, you know, if I have a tenant who falls on bad times, we work with them. Right. And sometimes they're a handyman or there's someone that can do other things to offset their rent, right? It's like, okay, if you'll go paint this room at this other property, we'll, you know, offset your rent by, you know, you can work with someone very easily, right? Um, But that wasn't the case. As landlords, we know that a vacant property is is a target. Yeah. We want vacant properties. We understand that just like any other business, you work with your clients Mm -hmm. to make things to make things happen. Right. Because if you have a good tenant and something falls upon them, the last thing you want is a vacant property that's going to be subject to um, vandalism, be subject to a leak that you have no idea what happened. Right. We are business people. We know that. Right. One of the most poignant points I thought that I heard was there was an article that said, the eviction moratorium addressed imaginary problems while creating real problems. Mm-hmm. Right. And my experience to date is that the evictions that have happened since the moratorium ended are evictions that were, that would have happened regardless. Mm-hmm. Right. And the evictions that, would not have happened would would just not have happened mm-hmm. um yeah so people just got back on their feet started paying again who knows about the lost rent but you know yeah exactly and people who were not going to pay anyway are still not paying right i mean okay. they it, just got a free ride for a while it's just the same story. our experience i mean other people have other experiences i guess but no 100 percent the people that aren't going to pay are going to pay. 
the people that are, are going to pay right. are going to do, oh, and the landlords that, that know that these people have generally paid mm-hmm. are going to make accommodations for those people because it makes the most business sense and the most human ex- sense. Like right. we, we don't know what's going on. This, these last two years have been confusing, terrifying, what, whatever it is to you, they've right. been something. And I think that most people have been human and said, I will work with you if you will work with me. Right. And that's, and that's gender. And, and overall that has been my um, feedback that most people have worked with their landlords because mm-hmm. they, they understand that they have a duty to pay for their housing. Right. But so this, how many people do you have in the class action lawsuit? How many people, or when did you start it? Cause I just got the email. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering when did you start it? And what did your attorneys say is the time frame that this take? like, how long does it take to put it together and go through the process? What, or what, what are they telling you as their guesstimate? So I decided to start Indiana property rights Alliance. I think it was around July um, because the eviction moratorium had been extended again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was the end of August when it was overturned by the, by the Supreme court because of the Alabama lawsuit. We probably have about 30 to 35, uh, uh, individuals or entities that are part of our group. Right. Um, but and, that means many doors, right? I mean, it's, those are, oh, the, yeah. those that, are the that, people, not the properties, right? Yes, I would say that reflects thousands of doors. Right. Uh-huh. I'd also say that it reflects doors of people that are um, taking advantage of the system. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that that is not the majority. And I will also say that um, if we don't start fighting back, then it's going to be, we're going to be lower on the uphill battle. So as far as I know, we're the only state that's filing a lawsuit against their state. But I think it's incredibly important to do so. Mm-hmm. In order to let yeah, them start to also, you're saying, stop the slippery slope of, okay, th- this happened, this moratorium happened, then they'll take a little bit more rights away and a little more, and then you'll end up like California. Right. Yes. And what, what scares, I, I guess what concerns me is, oh, okay, it's over. And, and there's been several people that have said, oh, it's over. And I'm like, but it was now wrong. It very easily happen again. Yeah. So if you say, oh, it's over, let's just like, you know, pick up and go about it. Again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They feel free reign to do it all over again. And here's the difference with our lawsuit is we're saying one, no, no executive order, no legislature, no health department, no government agency can do this in Indiana because the power, uh, I'm, I'm going to misstate this, but one of the amendments to the constitution, holy shit, have I learned so much about the law in the last three months? Okay. So I'm going to miss it, but, um, any power not specifically designated to the federal mm-hmm. means the state. state. Right. So, 
Um, one of the things I feel like I've learned over the last two years, and I've never been political until the last two years. Until they started taking your money and forcing you to give free housing? Correct. Was that where you drew the line? That's where you went, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I feel like I drew the line when they said, you are not allowed to leave your house. Oh, yeah. That, that, that too. That, that was huge. And that was, that was the first thing. And then it was just like a series of other things, including one of the things that you said or what you said. Mm-hmm. So if, so evictions are a civil matter. Um, so if they're not specifically designated to the federal, they are left to the decision of the States. Mm-hmm. So as you know, in California, there's, there's money given to tenants that don't pay for tenant advocacy and right. I mean, you, you can't check criminal history in Seattle and in Indiana. Mm-hmm. You still can, you still right. have the right. So you're, trying to, you're trying to defend that or you're trying to preserve those things that make it a good investment state. Right. I mean, 100%, 100%. So Indiana is still pretty, it's not just landlord friendly. In my mind, it's tenant friendly. Our, yeah, because the fewer lawsuits you have, the less it's built into the price of the service, right? I mean, that's how like if you look at the medical industry, right? If you have fewer lawsuits, you wouldn't have the cost so, so high of any medical procedure, right? That's why those things are so high. Also why drugs are so high. I mean, so so when you have too many lawsuits in an industry, it pushes the price up because you got to pay for the risk. So you just have to look at Indiana side by side with another state that has a lot of lawsuits and go, what else could it be? Right. I mean, I get that the property values are lower, but I don't think that that's it. You know, I mean, it's, you know, wages are probably lower, but I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. So tell me a bit about the, uh, the, the, uh, law firm that's helping you guys, what's their background and what, um, you know, who are they and how are they helping you? And, and what, I guess, why did you go with them and and what's their outlook on this whole, do they think you have a good chance of winning? Okay. So we hired Thrasher Bushman and vocal. They're a very prominent Indianapolis law firm. They are, um, specialists at the takings clause. Now, wow. The, the I think there's law firms just dedicated to these certain things. You know, that's mind blowing to me right there. I'm again, I'm learning so much. And and the re- so we had hired a lobbyist who had filed a lawsuit um for the vaping industry because the government had come and said certain Certain flavors of vaping were not allowed. And flavors of what? Flavors of vaping. Oh, vaping. Yes. I thought you said bacon. Yeah. <laughs> flavors okay. of bacon. The oh, yeah. <laughs> so the vaping industry. Okay, that's interesting. So two years ago, um, this particular person in Indiana won a lawsuit against the state of Indiana for the vaping industry on the takings clause and what the taking, what the takings clause says, and I'll I'll re, I know I already said it, but I'll reiterate it is you can take my property, but you have to compensate me for it first. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so this law firm has extensive experience with this particular um, uh, what is, uh, constitutional clause or um, well, amendment. I'm sorry. Uh-huh, right. It's a particular amendment because it's just, I, I'm learning so much. Each amendment, like, you know, different law firms have experience with it, know the case law for it. Right. Now, I will be 100% honest. Our attorney is basically saying this situation is unprecedented. We feel that we have a better than not um, chance of winning. Right. So he's saying better than not. But So I would say he's saying 55-45. Yeah. Now... I can completely understand where people are like, well, I don't want to put my money towards that. I don't want to fight towards that. I want to put my name towards that. But people, if we don't start fighting, that that chance just gets lesser and it only falls upon your children. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, I personally don't have children. I I have one property that, that I've had a problem with. I'm probably about ten thousand dollars out in in one out of like seventeen properties. I'm okay. This has not affected me personally, right? But if we let this go on, but it's the the, them taking away your rights that, right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And if if we don't start fighting now, that hill is only going to get bigger. Mm-hmm. It's going to get bigger for your children. Yeah. And I personally don't even have children, but I do feel that I have lived the American dream. I have started my own business. My mom is an immigrant. Um, Where's your mom from? She's from Bolivia. Bolivia. Wow. Yeah. So my mom, or I'm sorry, my dad went there in the Peace Corps, married her there and brought her back. So no kidding. Wow, what a story. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and she probably didn't speak any English. Your dad's the one that spoke Spanish. I guess there are Spanish people, right? Spanish people. I mean, exactly. he spoke Spanish or he learned Spanish to go there. And she learned English when she was here. When she got here, yeah. Wow. But as a woman, as a I guess minority, I hate to pull that card because I don't yeah. I don't feel like I'm a minority. Right. But um I do feel that I have lived the American dream and I feel that we all have that opportunity mm-hmm. and that is being taken from us and from our children. Um, so that that's, the, that's the fight that I'm in. Right. Wow. So who can join this lawsuit? How, what's the, you know, how do they join? What's that process? Okay. So anybody can contribute. And, and one, one of the huge aspects is just fundraising for people that care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if they own property in Indiana or not, it doesn't matter. They can donate to your thing. Yeah. Anybody can donate. So anybody that, want, that has had losses or has had um, damages or has had to pay utilities or has... I'd written all that off. Like, so they call it judgment proof, right? The people who didn't pay me now ran away in the dark of night. So 
the likelihood of recouping anything from them, I'm like, not probably going to happen, right? So, well, what's so interesting is that we're so used to that. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're used to hey, we we build in losses to our business because some not use eighteen month losses though. <laughs> yeah. but this has been a oh, the government has instituted a policy of you're going to have losses. Right. Most landlords, I'm sorry, housing providers, which we are trying to change the term more as a talking point of we're not feudal people that own the land. We have a contract that says you do this, we do this. Right. We give you you this, you get that. Exactly. I get that. Right. Exactly. Um. I'm sorry. Right. So people can contribute. So we were just talking about, you know, yeah, the government said you don't get your money. Right. And we're so used to it because, you know, in honesty, some I mean, if you're doing affordable housing, our clients, our customers, they don't have a lot of cash reserves. Right. They barely get the money together to be able to live in the property that we're offering. So if something goes wrong, it's not like they have like this big pile of money to, to subsidize themselves. Right. Or to, to pay back anything that's owed. So the likelihood of recouping money from people who weren't able to pay and just disappeared. Right. Um, I mean, the other day, my property caught on fire. The guy didn't even call the management company. Didn't, Nobody notified anyone that, hey, this this property is now burnt to the ground, right? Nobody ever. So this is disappearing in the dark of night kind of stuff. So so they're judgment proof that the likelihood of recouping that that money from the people that don't pay, we just take it. I think what you were saying is we take it for granted. We bake into the pie that there's some losses, right? We just know that some of it's going to get lost and. It's in our business model, right? We call it, you know, I mean, when you do crunch your numbers, there's a vacancy factor. When you crunch your numbers, there's a, oh, we didn't get, you know, whatever. So there's damages. Yes. Right. And, and one of the, um, the, the saddest parts is, you know, uh, affordable housing is, is what the media says is one of our biggest problems. Mm-hmm. Well, the eviction moratorium has affected low income housing providers more than it has. Right. So you get rid of them. You, you attack them and there's less affordable housing available. Right. Cause we're going to continue with this, right? Exactly. And, and okay. So the burnt down building is a good example, right? So that's two units that were affordable housing. And now if, the insurance is not going to pay me to rebuild it. So am I going to put more money into rebuilding those? Why would you? Yeah. you know? So this is, this is the thing that people face in this uh, affordable housing industry. Right. So um, yeah, I might donate it to a nonprofit and let them build or whatever, you know, I mean, who knows, but you know, you have to look at your options, but that's what you face as a, as a affordable housing provider, right? Exactly. As exactly. opposed to the high end, you know, 
10,000 a month condo in Miami or here in my neighborhood, you know, they pay 6,000 a month for their rent. I mean, that's not who's hurting. That's not who's being affected. Mm -hmm. The the people that make, you know, a hundred thousand dollars can pay the rent. They have resources. Engineers get their jobs. Waiters did not. Exactly. And what has been heartwarming for me, because I live in downtown Indianapolis, and I I had a number of waiters and waitresses, and they contacted me early and said, I'm going to have a problem. And I said, we'll work it out. And every housing provider knows that the last thing they want is a vacant house. Mm -hmm. Especially you have a you have a tenant that's paid regularly. You're not going to kick them out. Especially no, you know the- they're, they're going to be a good tenant when the foolishness yes, happens, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, well, good. So tell me again. So they, so they go to a website to sign up. So if someone wants to participate, how would they do that? Yes. So if you have had a loss um, or you would like to contribute, go to IPRA Action, which is Indiana Property Rights Alliance Action.com. So say, um, what are the initials again? IPRA, Indiana Property Rights Alliance. So IPRA.org or .com? I, IPRA Action. Action. Dot .com. Okay. And you can uh, donate or if you have had damages or losses, you would like them included in the lawsuit, you can outline your damages. You can contact me directly. Okay, so the step I'm going through is I'm emailing my property manager saying, add up all the stuff that we paid for tenant X, add up all the stuff we paid for tenant Y, the address, and itemize it. And then we're going to upload it into your uh, website, into your portal, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Got it. Okay. Um, Let's see. And do do you guys have, and who's eligible is anyone who... Uh, has property in any part of the state of Indiana or just Indianapolis? No, any, any part of Indiana. All across Indiana. Okay. This is against the state of Indiana. Right. So any, can participate that way if they have losses. And it can also include anybody that's been affected by it. So we've had a couple um, insurance agents, even we've had property managers from other states that have been managing in Indiana so okay. if you have been whatsoever affected by an Indiana property, you are included. Wow, that's amazing. So are, are like seller financed lenders, like if someone sold their property to someone and financed them either through a CFD or a private money, that, you know, are they part of that, even though they're not a landlord, but they may have lost uh, payments yes. towards that contract, the CFD uh, contract for deed is what I'm talking about. So, um, yes. so if someone financed their buyer, they could participate. So one of my own, my personal losses is I sold a property on contract and one of the aspect or one of the, um, uh, aspects of the moratorium was you, you also could not foreclose. Mm-hmm. So I had a contract buyer that had not paid for, well, the moratorium was enacted in March. They had not paid since November, but I had no remedy because in March I was not allowed to foreclose. Mm -hmm. So contract buyers, 
any aspect of the moratorium and it included foreclosure, not being able to evict, utilities you paid, damages you um, suffered, um, any labor that you put in yourself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like we have, we have a member that he, he does this full time. He, he painted, you know, um, when a property became available, he did all the, the painting and the plumbing mm-hmm. he did itself. So all of that is a remedy for you. So if anyone has a question as to whether something qualifies or whatever, they could email you and say, hey, I paid this. Is that something I should include in my list? Or should they just include everything and let the attorneys chop it down? I would say include everything just so we're aware. If it ends up not being eligible, it's okay. It can be taken out. Absolutely. So, okay. So you told us how many people. So do you have just for, you know, morbid, (laughs) how much do you think could be recovered from your, let's say you get no more people. You have 35 people. Do you know what the average loss is and how many dollars are we took? Cause that's what impresses in a lawsuit is the, the, the damage done and what the possible recovery is. Right. So what do you guys have an idea yet? No, 100%. We have members that have anywhere from $2,500 worth of damage to members that have $200,000 worth of damage. 200000 Yes. No I mean, offense, but in Indiana, you lost $200,000? Like, yes. I mean, just think of like the person that owns 500 rentals mm-hmm. and 100 of them stop paying. Yes. I think we have like four that have at least $150,000 worth of loss. Wow. So for them, it's worth, um, it's worth, you know, kicking in money to make sure this, this happens. Right. Yes. 100%. As a percentage. I mean, it's just, you might as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and I think, so is it a thousand dollars minimum to join the class action lawsuit? Did I understand that? Or did I just voluntarily, Oh, I'll, you know, Sometimes so, I go too fast. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. It is. It's not a class action because now I'm not an attorney, and I've learned so much in the last three months about law. Right. But it is our, our associate. Our association is filing, but every person that is filing will be named in the lawsuit. And oh, that's, that's a strategic. Yeah, now, okay, yeah, because class action is usually like one guy's name at all because they just needed that one guy to be the, the case to get it going, right? So in this case, you're saying everyone will be named, which to me is more impressive, right? To have all those names named as, as all complainants is... Well, I mean, I'm learning, you know, I went to our attorney and I said, do we do a class action? Not fully knowing even what that what that meant was. I mean, I'm not an attorney. Um, And then. And they just told you this structure, whatever it is, uh, is better. Right. Right. So So they're basically going to represent everyone under the umbrella of the association. Yes, but they will also be named. And and that's a, the, the association is filing, but also the individuals are filing because apparently there's case law in Indiana that says an association can't do this. So it's, it's like a strategic decision to say this association is, and this association is basically the fundraiser 
to support the landlords that have had however many people come together on to do this. Right. Because a thousand dollars does would not cover no. No. But but basically our dollars together. Right. We we as Hoosiers, we as landlords are saying we we support the fight against this complete government overreach into our business. That's mm-hmm. you are no longer honoring our valid contracts. Not right. only are you not honoring our contracts, you're saying that one side well, they should stay out of it. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. What right did they have to get in between? You know, that's what's incredible. Well, yeah. this is very interesting. So just to end on a maybe lighter note. Oh, mm-hmm. and that's IPRAaction.com. Okay, so uh, I just want to check the minute count here. Where's the where's my minute counter? Well, I'll look at the time. Five. Okay, it's six fifty four. I just want to tell my editor to put that in our video so you, so so people can see it. So IPRAaction.com. So tell me, how is India now that this foolishness is over? Um, what's your take as a as an investor as a realtor? How do you see Indiana? Well, Indianapolis especially, but just the the investor temperature are people, I mean, it seems like people are just paying crazier and crazier prices there in Indianapolis, um, which is odd that, you know, through a moratorium now people are just grabbing property here and there. Apparently people are not afraid of the government's overreach because they're still investing, right? They still believe in the quality of the investment in Indianapolis. Um. I feel that the general investment, um, I guess, feel is it's it. it I think like any anybody else, it's when's it going to end? I'll be real honest with you. I mean, with with the inflation, with the market being at a high, and so many people thinking that it's been at a high for a long time. Long time. Yes, a very long time. Um, my my personal opinion is that there there has to be a correction. Now, what level that correction is? Well, I mean, if they stop holding down rates so low, when you know when rates bounce up, I tell people it's like you've got this this ball, this inflated ball in a pool, right? And you're holding it up below water, right? You're forcing it to be below water. Eventually, when you let go, it goes, boing, right? It bounces up yeah. and yeah. comes to the surface. So that'll happen because as soon as they stop holding down the rates, the rates will come up to a, a normal level, right? Normal being 4 or 5% historically. So I wonder how that will affect things, right? Well, Because some people barely qualify at 2.5, 2.6 interest. So how do they qualify at 4 or 5%, right? Well, I feel like that the market will speak for itself across the country, um, no matter where you are. It, it's right. not specific to Indiana. Right. Um, the inflation will speak wherever you are. Um, but I do feel that the coasts are far more um, volatile volatile than in, in Indiana is. Yeah. Right. And we're just still far more cheaper. We're, I mean... Mm-hmm. And, and that's how we want to stay. Yeah. Affordable, right? Affordable. 
in the middle of the volatility, you know, uh, legislatively friendly, because when, when landlords have more power, it, it treats the good tenants well, and it keeps rents lower because mm-hmm. the bad tenants aren't dictating the expense. Right. And, and as of now, Indiana is still a very uh, legislatively landlords have the right to do a lot of things. They have the right to check your credit score. They have the, I mean, they right. have the right to, to, to make sure who moves into their home is financially able to do so. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. You really, when I was there in April, I was like, yeah, you guys really have to fight to keep that equilibrium because otherwise it just gets out of control, you know? Well, I mean, we, we know what's going on there mm-hmm. and, it, and it, frankly, it's scary. And it's, it's for me, it's a, we have to start fighting back mm-hmm. elsewise. This is all coming. I mean, yeah, it's just going to shoot right now. It's happening. In St. Louis, it's happening. It's happening all around us. Right. Yeah. The Midwest has a lot of areas that are more similar to California with their, with their way they run things, right? How the government intervenes and all that. Yes. Wow. Well, so, but it sounds like from what I see, people are still really interested in Indiana, but more Indianapolis, especially because that's where you're at. It seems like it's still a good investment area. The rents seem to have gone up a lot, right? So um, I don't know if that's because people were, are being paid more or why the rents are going up all of a sudden, especially through a moratorium. That's a little puzzling, but what would you say your, your high end, just for people who don't know Indianapolis, what's like your highest rent, say for an executive home versus your average, say two bedroom, you know, apartment or duplex, like what's the range there? I would say like your average two bedroom, one bath, and I would even say single family home. So there's a difference between like a single family, a, I'm sorry, a, like apartment, like a two bedroom, one bath apartment. Um, and, and I'm not saying like you're, you're downtown with a balcony. Fancy stuff, right? Yes. I'm saying the standard Indianapolis two bedroom, one bath is about 550. I would say your luxury living two bedroom, one bath is about 1500 easily. Okay. So that's a good range. So three times. So I guess hmm, 12. Yeah. I think our range is probably a little wider, but that's, but that's not bad, right? To go from your luxury to your, yeah. But five fifty for a two bedroom, one bath. Everyone should move there. That's super affordable. We don't have the good weather. We don't have the ocean. Yeah, that's why they call it the sunshine tax. Yes. <laughs> Every tax we have, they're like, well, <laughs> that's your sunshine tax. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a lot of tax for sunshine. That is a lot of tax for sunshine. Yeah. And all the homeless stuff you guys have going on over there. It's crazy. I know it is really crazy. Really crazy. Well, good. Thanks for sharing this. So so did the attorneys give you a, a time frame of how long this takes? Is it a year process, 18 months? Did they give you some kind of sense of 
how long the process is to go through the court system? I will say ish. So yeah, ish. Um, the more people we can get involved up front is very beneficial because whenever you have to um, amend a complaint, that costs something with court, it costs something with attorneys. So um, uh, anybody that has had damages, please get with me as soon as possible. Um, thereafter, we may or may not consider it depending on whether it's worth it on an expense level. But I would say it's going to, the lawsuit itself will take at least a year because there's discovery there. Right. Yeah. uh, Just all of that. Right. Just all the lawsuit things that I'm learning myself, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And are you getting any help or will you get help? I know sometimes when you start a lawsuit, you know, nobody helps you. But then uh, then you get the attention of, say, because you, you, in your email, it said that short term rentals actually short term rental owners actually have a chance also to recover. Right. So, yes. yeah. So so are there the, like apartment associate? So AOA or AGLA, any of those apartment association related uh, groups, are they? Uh, aware of your thing going on and are they uh, willing to help at a certain, usually they want to see that it's getting traction, then they support you, which is backwards, but are you getting support from them? Oh, I feel like the people that have not been affected have far more contributed money. Mm. It just, just in the, I support your fight and I want to, want to see something fair overrule. So we and have the precedents. Uh, let's not forget the super critical precedents that this will set for other people to say, Hey, look what went on there. Exactly. Same, same here. <laughs> you know, to my knowledge, we're the only state that's filing against their own state. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but again, evictions happen on a local level. And what has been, again, so heartwarming for me is we've had more donations. We have more funding for people that have not been affected than those that have. And that's why I can say you can give $1,000. And if you give $1,000, you will be completely um, remedied if we win. Otherwise, there's no way we could have afforded that. Right. It's amazing. Amazing. So we'll have to touch base and see how things are going, um, you know, because this is super important for everyone across the nation. It's that that critical, that important. So the eyes should be watching, right? Yeah, <laughs> how this goes yeah. for sure. And everybody donate, because if you believe in property rights, this is going to be something that people can turn to and say, look what happened there in Indiana we need to make sure it doesn't, we need to make sure that property rights are defended and, and, you know, these kinds of things is where it starts. So this is like, it may feel like a blip or feel like a, Oh, those poor people, they lost money. Good for them. Good for them. No, it's about everybody. So please reach out to ipraaction.com. Or obviously you can email Laura. So is there a contact thing if they want to email you on the website? Info at ipraaction.com. Okay. Okay. And, and I so- would add on to that. Like one of the things is like our, one of our slogans is uh, life, liberty, property. And obviously the, the normal is life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But 
the ability to own property in this country is so important. <laughs> and it really is. People take it for granted, Laura. They don't realize, a lot of people don't realize in some countries, it's you don't like have that right. impossible to own property, yeah. right? Unless you have the cash to buy property, you can't, right? I mean, right. and if you're a foreigner, you can't. You have to be a citizen of that country to own a home, right? So there's so many things where where uh, other people don't get to experience this freedom of saying, this is the land that I own. I'm going to provide housing. They're going to pay me rent. They're going to support me through an asset that I own, right? Yes. And why is it that big corporations get to do that, but somehow the little guy does it and they're bad because they're like demanding money? <laughs> it makes and no sense. The person so that you serve has the option of having a short term, you know, I would like to reserve this for one year because I don't know what's going to happen in one year. And right. the spread of power, can you imagine if the government owns everything, which is a fear of mine personally. Yeah, it's a very scary idea. That you it's have very scary. It's very scary. You have a maintenance problem and you have to call one eight hundred call IRS. Yeah. Well you just have to look to communist countries and see how they uh you know I have friends who've grown up in communist countries and kid you not you only there's only so many hours of utilities you can use the grocery stores are empty that i mean it can get bad right you just have to look yeah just i don't want to name names but you just have to look to certain countries and it's really sad how their citizens live and then also i mean nothing against the government but when they run housing at least in our neighborhood you just have to look at a housing project versus a privately owned project of any kind, whether it's a duplex or a big apartment building or whatever, you can tell which one's run by the government. So every single one of my tenants has my personal phone number. They have my personal email. They have an issue. They contact the owner. Right. Think about if it was a bureaucratic system, whether it's private or public, the one eight hundred number you have to call, the prompts you have to do, and the weights you have to call—it's right. So defending that—that that is so important. So thank, first of all, thank you for doing this, Laura. I mean, I know you know you didn't do this for fun. You're sitting at home and you're thinking, what can I do? I'm a little bored. So let's see, what can I do? Oh, I know, I'll start this group, and you know, I'm sure that's not you know. So out of the kindness of your heart and and believing in in us the housing providers thank you so so much for doing this and um i hope it really goes well and we'll check in with you and see how things are going and hopefully in my i never expected to recover the money so it's not about that really obviously but supporting something like this is super important for what it means for the future yes well, so. and thank you for willing to have this call, for willing to fight. A lot of people are very scared to fight. We have to. Mm-hmm. Right. Have to. Right. Thank so you. thank you. Thanks for staying up late for us. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. Have a great night. Thanks, Laura. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of My Cashflow Academy's Investor's Corner with your host, Athena Paquette-Cornier. 
We wish you all the success you deserve as you use what you've learned here out in the real world. Check out the blog post for this episode, along with many more helpful resources at MyCashflowAcademy.com.